Good morning. My name is Micah Chang, and I'm a PhD student at the Montana State University in the Department of History and Philosophy. And it's my pleasure to be here sharing this story with you at the Montana History Conference. So I'd like to thank the Montana Historical Society for the opportunity to be here and share this with you. The title of my project today is called Oasis of the Highline, the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. So I'm going to give you a little bit of outline and background information about how I came to this project because it informs my research at Montana State University and also why I think this topic is worthy of sharing with you. My family background, I have family who homesteaded in Seiko, Montana, and my mom is from a ranching community up in Malta. So I have been drawn to the High Line for family reasons. And I came to Montana State University to study the High Line. And as I was doing research this past May in Missoula, I was in the Kairos Tool Archives at University of Montana. And I stumbled across a very thick file in Senator Mike Mansfield's documents that was titled Sleeping Buffalo. I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. Um, what I know of Sleeping Buffalo is from what my family has told me, which is both good and not so good. So yeah, I was interested. And my main research is concerned with the historic depopulation, development, industry, agriculture on the High Line in the Southern Prairie provinces, on the High Line and in Canada. So I thought this might be a fun little project or caveat to pursue and do. And also, something interesting is when you're growing up and you go to Malta and you go to Sleeping Buffalo as a little kid, you don't really understand how unique that is for Montana. So I just threw up this map here, and I don't know if you can really see it, but hot springs in Montana tend to follow a typical geography, aesthetic, and vision of what that hot spring is in western and northwestern Montana. So you see that there are only two hot springs in eastern Montana. One is the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs, and the other, that little red triangle, I've never been there, but apparently there's one in Miles City that's like a hole in the ground that people go swim in. So, as a historian, this signals to me that something is unique about the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs, so I decided to pursue it. And after studying it a little bit and looking at archives and going up there and doing research, one thing that I found was interesting about the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs is the fact that it just existed for 100 years on the High Line, which is unique in a place where business and industry tends to not last a whole century. So it's just about there. So for me, resilience on the High Line is going to be the topic of today's discussion. I know that hot springs cannot substitute for the economic pillars that drive growth and sustainability on the High Line. But I do think that the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs, in an era of rural depopulation, can offer some ideas about the power of resilience and community gathering. So before we get going, I have a map of Montana, which I did not draw, I cannot take credit for, and I do not know if you can read it, um, but the person who drew this map obviously has some ideas about places in Montana and what those places signify. What I want to draw your attention to is what I have circled up there, the Highline Wasteland, a place where people cannot survive. And I would just like to say that that is probably not just this one person's perception of the Highline. I think most people have that idea of this place who do not live there. And then on the right, I have a picture of Phillips and Valley County showing you where the American Legion Health Pool, as it was once called, is in relation to Malta and Glasgow. 
So this is where we are working in today. But of course, before we can start talking about Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs, we need to understand a little bit about the place and what the Montana High Line is. Up here are pictures of Chinook, um, taken by a photographer, I believe, last year. And it's representative of the High Line landscape, right? You can't separate the High Line from the Great Northern and how these towns have been platted out. So the genesis of Dotson, Malta, and Seiko they were railroad towns, just as every other major town was along the High Line. They were platted and planned in advance of settlement by the Great Northern Agents and Railway. Phillips County separated from Blaine County in 1915 and became its own entity with the county seat at Malta. And just two years later, in 1917, drought struck almost immediately. So I put this up here to show that Phillips County was created in 1915, and just two years later, it's already experiencing its first bout of depopulation and hardship from crop failure and drought. Leaving rural communities grasping for kind of interesting and outlandish solutions to stay afloat and stay relevant. And that brings me to this slide, which I titled Staying Alive. Um, I have some examples up here which may seem familiar to people in here. And this was just kind of an example of how some communities tried to cope and still try to cope with irrelevancy, rural depopulation, and those sorts of things. On the left is a picture of Shelby, Montana, and the Jack Dempsey fight in 1923, which essentially left the town destitute and put it into early onset depression. If you want more information about that, my colleague Casey Pallister has an article out on that. And on the right is a more contemporary example of Ismay, Montana in 1993, deciding to adopt the name Joe Montana for a short while to try and get some tourists to the town who are attracted to the football player. So those are some interesting tactics. And Phillips County had its own temporary solution to their problem, or what they thought would be a temporary solution in the 30s. And that's the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. And before I get going on the history of it, I just want to have a little mention that I'm going to use all of its names interchangeably throughout this talk. It has been called the Hot Well, Hot Pool, American Legion Health Plunge, Hot Plunge, and the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. So I'm referring to the same thing here. It's never clear if there's an official name change, but when you're looking through Chronicling America and trying to find some historical evidence, you have to use all of these names. After successive years of drought beginning in 1917, by 1920, Phillips County farmers were grasping for a solution to this economic hardship. Hence, the founding of the Phillips County Oil and Gas Company in 1922. The oil dream had thoroughly grasped the county by the 1920s, and people were seeking other opportunities to make it in Phillips County other than farming and ranching. Here, in this quote, it says, A consideration of development knowing full well that while the world's greatest storehouse for a large commercial oil pool is here in Phillips County is indicated on this map. So people really were optimistic about what Phillips County could offer in terms of oil. And that square down there is where they were digging and where they were drilling for oil around Lake Bodoin. The first Bodoin well is that little dot north of Lake Bodoin. That's the first Bodoin well. And when they drilled there, they found a little bit of oil. So that was promising and, and they pursued it a little bit more. Eventually they would dig a second well that's on the east side of the lake near where Sleeping Buffalo is today. That well would not produce the covetous black gold that they were looking for, 
but hot gushing water. That brings me to the next point, which is failure on the High Line, which is a theme of this talk. So many people in Phillips County had to approach the failure of this oil pursuit with a glass half full perspective. For most, not striking oil was a complete failure. But writing retrospectively, one of the sources that talks about Phillips County in the 1920s and 1930s, Philip S. Long, who was an author and also resident there for his entire life, wrote, financially for those oil promoters, it was a failure. But to the public, it was not. Oil would have been great for the country and the backers, but that hot mineral water was also to prove that it held great worth to the entire northern part of the state, to Canadians, and to those from other areas as well. What I find interesting about this quote is that Philip Long has to contend with failure as he's talking about a victory. Because in this book, he is writing a history of Sleeping Buffalo. And in its genesis, it has to be balanced with failure, which to me reveals a truism of the Montana High Line, that places and people can fail, decline, and move on, making the cases of victory and perseverance that much more important. And the start of what would become the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs had to be viewed with optimism at first. A lot of optimism, because that's what it looked like after the oil derrick was torn down. The hot well, as it was called, was no more than just a hole in the ground that was full of sulfur-smelling warm water left behind after the derrick was torn down. The original story behind the hot well is that the rancher who the well's property was on, his name was Albert David Davidson. And he had a son who was afflicted with polio. So his idea was that he could put his son in the well for the healing properties of the water and it would relax his body and hopefully ease his condition. That is the first recorded use of the hot well. And by the end and or by the mid and late 1920s, the hot well was a local attraction and a site of community use. Most famously, Philip S. Long records that a group of teenage boys snuck out of their house to go for a midnight dip, and they were smoking cigarettes that they shouldn't have, and one of them threw an errant bud into the, butt into the well. And apparently, in that left picture, you can see that the well is actually flammable. You can go for a swim, and then you can light it on fire and take a picture with it. And there are a few pictures in the historical record of this. They're not very good quality, but... That apparently was one of the first uses of the well in addition for the medical healing properties of the water. Another more outlandish use that I'm more skeptical of is Philip S. Long records that dead sheep in the winter were thrown in there to dethaw their bodies to shear them. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's worth mentioning. It was an eclectic place. It has an eclectic beginning in an interesting region of Montana. So by the mid-1920s, a lot of people were coming to this hole. So much so that Albert Davidson had to do something about the amount of people who were coming onto his land. Also an issue was that, quote, people of lower mentality would throw everything under the sun into the well so that it became polluted. So by 1926, we see that there's some regulation and development. In the top left picture is in 1926 when they put an oil or a wooden box around the pool. But then by 1929, the Great Depression rolls around, and that's when things start to get really interesting with Sleeping Buffalo in terms of expansion. As a historian, when I think of the Great Depression, you tend to think of certain trends and they tend to decline. But the history of Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs is counter. Because of earlier droughts, 
the region was in an early onset depression. And by this period, they were really trying to cope. So that by 1929, to me, it makes sense that they are pushing for expansion. In 1929 is the year that the American Legion takes control of this property from Elbert Davidson and buys it from him. Long writes that of the Great Depression, we were aware of the crash of Wall Street, but somehow that did not concern us nearly as much as crop failures in our Prairie County. It is impossible to tell of the tremendous efforts to fund this recreational health resort. By 1930, the Phillips County community and the American Legion posts in Malta and Seiko were raising funds for additional pools to make it a larger public attraction and building cabins, dance halls, and other recreation on site in the 30s. And in 1931, the American Legion received a lease for the land from the Bureau of Land Management. The renovated hot pool had become the American Legion health plunge in spite of the depression and decades of hardship. The plunge was not a direct answer to poverty and hardship, but it was the center of community gathering and camaraderie for Phillips County in what is considered the lowest period of our nation's history. This is supported by the fact that it was the American Legion's express goal to have the plunge stand as a cornerstone of community and citizenship building. But then, development continued. In the dirty 30s, as they're called, the New Deal in Phillips County provided impetus for more development. Henry L. Lance was the FSA agent in charge of the Milk River Utilization and Resettlement Projects in 1936. Lance is well remembered in Phillips County as a man who fought for the little guy. In addition to resettlement, Lance had this to say in his 1936 report. Although recreation is a secondary feature of our project, the need for such centers within the project area and the unusual features and increasing popularity of the Phillips County Center is, we believe, noteworthy. A hot water plunge 21 miles northeast of Malta and purportedly of some mineral value is attracting people not only from the project area, but from neighboring states in Canada. Yearly increases in accommodation facilities are constantly falling short of demand. More than 15,000 people visited the center last year in 1936, which is kind of interesting to me that tourism is still happening in 1936 in spite of what's happening nationally. Lance identified the popularity and importance of the plunge to make Phillips County, quote, as he says, feasible and productive. Shortly after the report, a flood of New Deal money was allocated to build up the plunge even further. And as northeastern Montana surged with activity during the 1930s, the American Legion hot plunge grew and boomed. Groups of young men in CCC crews worked on irrigation projects, dams, pest control, fencing, landscaping, and recreation was no exception to that. Development from 1936 to 1939 included, right there on the left side, an enlargement of the existing swimming pool, an enclosed hot plunge, an outdoor swimming pool, and a wading pool. Additionally, showers, dressing rooms, cabins, and apartments, and camping facilities were built during this time period. So that by 1939, it is reported that over 30,000 visitors came to the plunge. Visitation had doubled in just three years. The New Deal development of the American Legion hot plunge brought jobs, hope, and a sense of community to Phillips County during the Great Depression. Something that I want to touch on briefly, that's not the talk of my paper but needs to be addressed, is the Sleeping Buffalo Rock, which is the namesake of what will eventually become the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. The rock itself has been a topic of some controversy and scholarly work. The history as I understand it is that the rock was taken first from its resting site on the hill there, and to Malta, and then in the 1930s, WPA crews moved it to the junction of Highway 2 and the Legion Health Plunge, where it still sits today. I will not go into the details of the controversy for this talk, 
Suffice it to say, that is how the American Legion Health Plunge eventually becomes the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs in name. And I'll take any questions you may have about that afterwards. In the meantime, however, in the 1940s and early 1950s, things were good for the American Legion Hot Plunge. This is a picture from the late 40s, and it was a site of community gathering. This was probably the apex and glory days of the American Legion Health Plunge. Community clubs started to gather at the plunge for weekly meetings. There were women's clubs, and then one example that I have is Boy Scouts would do lifeguard training there beginning in the 40s, and that is something that still happens there today. Also, our friend Philip S. Long was a young man at this time, and his memoirs have lengthy chapters about courtship and dating and how this was a good place where you could go dancing and meet young women. Lastly, there were school functions that happened at Sleeping Buffalo, which contribute to its centrality in the community. Swim meets and dances for both the high school and elementary and middle school were held at the plunge during this time period. But as all good things on the High Line, they don't last forever. In June 13, 1957, the headline of the Phillips County News claimed, Hot Water Flow Ceases at the Legion Plunge. The hot spring casing had cracked in 1957, creating an obstruction that caused the hot water to stop flowing at the American Legion Health Plunge. The estimated cost for repairs to the American Legion would be $100,000. Coincidentally, the 25-year lease that was signed in 1931 was also expired with the BLM that same year. And people from Phillips County, the High Line, North Dakota, and Canada began to write Senator Mike Mansfield to push the Department of the Interior for funds to fix the casing that was on their land. This is one such letter, and I'll just read the first half of it to you. The loss of the hot water well at Seiko Health Resort means the total loss of health and recreation facilities available to all of eastern Montana and western North Dakota, as well as many others from Saskatchewan and Alberta. What I love about this letter is it shows that the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs wasn't just for people of Phillips County. It also meant something to people in North Dakota, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. And there are early accounts of people from Canada coming down and visiting in the 20s and 30s. Eventually, the Department of the Interior would deny any funding request for fixing the casing at the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. And the only option left for the American Legion, once again, is to raise community funds and to purchase the land from the BLM. By 1959, after a series of negotiations for price of the land and what they would do, the land was purchased, a new well was dug, and the hot water started flowing again. And lastly, the American Legion Health Plunge was renamed the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. Bringing us back to what the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs meant to this community. On the website for Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs, in addition to being described as the oasis of the High Line, the site is described as a monument to the community spirit and unselfish efforts of many in the community. Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs throughout its history defied larger state and national trends of decline and showcases the power of community resilience. Since 1959, Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs has endured the same kind of trends. In the 60s and 70s and 90s, it was experiencing economic hardship and changed hands many times. But as you can see here in these pictures at the top, it was renovated in the last few years. And having gone there last May, it is a really nice place to go. Probably the busiest place I went on the High Line was Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs, which was kind of interesting to me. And when interviewing a Malton about the meaning of what Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs meant to her growing up, I thought this was a quote to leave you with. Speaking of Sleeping Buffalo in the 60s and 70s when she was growing up, 
Even though Sleeping Buffalo was a shitty little hot springs, it was our shitty little hot springs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>